turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 tonight. We'll be there in just a few moments. How many people remember playing your childhood side with your friends in the neighborhood? Most of, most of you. What were some of the favorite games that come to mind of the, that uh, you played as a child outside? What comes to mind as the favorites? Yes, Yona. Tag? Okay. What else comes to mind? Kick the can. I enjoyed that one. That was a good one. Yeah, Mike. Kill the man with the ball. Can't say that I played that one. Anyone else? Yes. Red light, green light. Okay. Yes. Jump rope outside. Yeah. Dave. Manhunt. All right. I will take one more. Will. King of the Hill. All right. Good. Um, as you can see on the screen, Hide and Seek was a favorite of many that, of the people that I asked. Um, Foursquare. How many people remember Capture the Flag? Still play that today. Um, all the different versions of, of tag that there are. Freeze tag and all the other ones. Um, I know when I gave a message in middle school chapel, uh, someone mentioned Red Rover. Red Rover, Red Rover. thought it was kind of a violent game. Um, but hide-and-seek, I think, is one of the classics. Hide-and-go-seek. You can play it anywhere. You don't need anything. You don't need any balls, any special equipment. But did you know that perhaps the first hide-and-seek took place in the Bible? Only it wasn't a game. Uh, in fact, it was a sad result of man's first disobedience. Uh, Genesis, the book of origins, and in particular this chapter 3, records that the first disobedience was uh, for us, um, and if you study carefully, it really explains everything about the world's condition as well. Uh, But I want to read verses 1 through 13 of Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at tonight. Genesis chapter 3 reads, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? 
And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Since Adam's creation, until this point in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were walking with God, talking with God, enjoying perfect fellowship with him and perfect creation as they were designed to do. And it says 12 different times from Genesis 1-1 through 3-3, it's recorded that, and God said, God said this, and God said this, and God said this, and God said this, and God said this. However, we come to chapter 3, and the serpent says, did God really say that? And the serpent questions what God said to Eve. And Adam and Eve listened to the serpent when he said, did God really say that? And they doubted. They should have said, first of all, we believe what God says. And second of all, we don't listen to talking snakes. But instead, they listened to the wrong voice, the voice that spoke contrary to God's words, and they doubted. They doubted God's words. They doubted his love. They doubted God's goodness. They doubted that God's plan was best for them. And because they doubted, they disobeyed God and sinned. And when you see here, after they sinned, they hide. Well, they tried to hide from God, but really, they knew, we know, it's really quite foolish to hide from God because God is everywhere and he's all-knowing and there's no hiding from him. But what is really encouraging to me about this text is how God acts towards Adam and Eve when they rebel and sin against him. Because if you picture it with me, God has created this perfect world. There's no sin, none of the pain and suffering that we see in the world and that we endure today. None of all the mess that we see because we live in a sin-stained world. He creates Adam. He says it's not good for him to be alone, and so he creates Eve to be his helpmate. Husband and wife, naked and without shame, living in a perfect garden, walking and talking with God every day, just as he designed us to live. And we wreck it. God gives a clear command, eat of every tree of the garden except this one. And the serpent comes to Eve, casts doubt in her mind about God's goodness and what he really said. Eve listens to the serpent, she eats the fruit, she gives to Adam, he eats. And more devastating than the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima, Adam and Eve sin wrecks the whole world for everyone for the rest of history. And God knows. God fully understands what has taken place. Yet how does he react? Did he come in like an upset parent or a ticked-off boss or a mad coach yelling and screaming? Does he immediately and without care drop his gavel and dispense judgment on Adam and Eve and the rest of the world? No. What do we see in verse 9? Verse 9 tells us that he comes... In the cool of the day, in the evening, walking in the garden, and he, what does he do? He seeks out, he goes searching for Adam. So when we were at our worst, having directly broken the only rule we were given, 
instead of running to God, end up hiding from him and trying to cover up. And what does God do? God pursues Adam and Eve, and he asks four questions. And, you know, it's really interesting to me that he asks these questions because God doesn't need to ask questions. He's God. He knows everything, including the answers to the questions that he's asking. Now, when we ask questions, it's because we are in need of answers. We ask questions every day that we don't know the answer to. I mean, how many people ask, what, what's the weather going to be tomorrow? And nobody knows the answer to that. Uh, we ask the question, well, can I afford to buy this or that? Or we might ask, well, what should I wear today? But for, ask, but for us, we ask because we don't know the answer. We need information, and that's why we're asking questions. But for God, there are a number of times when God asks people questions throughout the Bible. And normally the person that he's asking a question has found themselves in some type of predicament or situation that they are stuck in. They're going the wrong way or they're just made a, a huge mistake. In Job 38.4, he asks Job, where were you during creation? In Genesis 18.14, he asks Abraham, is there anything too hard for the Lord? In Genesis 32.27, he asks Jacob, what is your name? In Genesis 4.6, he asks Cain, why are you angry? In 1 Kings 19.13, he asks Elijah in the cave, what are you doing here? In Exodus 4.11, he asks Moses, who made your mouth? Isaiah 50, 20, or 50 verse 2, he asks Isaiah, is my hand too short? But in all these situations, never once does God ask a question because he is in need of information that he doesn't know. So why does God ask questions? The answer is quite simple. God asks questions. He asks them for the benefit of the recipient. So that they might think about the answer as it relates to them, where they are, what they're thinking, what they're doing, to help them understand, as God already does, what they need to understand. Why they're in their predicament. What they're forgetting about God. To help them see and understand correctly the situation that they're in. And this was the situation here in Genesis 3. Man was created for God to be with God forever. However, when, they, when sin entered, man sinned against God, and what does he do? He hides from God. Which we see is foolish because we know that God is everywhere and God knows all things. But since the beginning of time, many of us, like Adam, sinned against God and we tried to hide from him. Even though he's our creator, he loves us, he wants what's best for us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 through 13 tells us that after eating the fruit, it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And again, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God could have, could have said, but you were naked yesterday, and the day before that, and the day before that. And then in verse 11, he said, who told you that you were naked? He asks, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And Adam and Eve tried the oldest trick in the book, the blame game. The man said, the woman 
whom you gave to me with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So what happened? Since his creation until now, Adam and Eve were walking with God, talking with God having a perfect relationship with him. And then in Genesis 2.25 states that the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And now we, we find them in verse 10, naked, afraid, and hiding. Suddenly everything they think, see, and do is tainted by sin. How they view God is tainted by sin. How they view themselves is tainted by sin. Just 24 hours earlier, they were living in a perfect garden, naked, unashamed, walking and talking with God as they were created to be. And see, nakedness in the Bible speaks of being known, of being uncovered, of being vulnerable. And prior to their sin, they had no trouble being known by God or by each other. But now they view themselves in their sinfulness, and they see the need to be covered. They try to cover themselves from God by hiding in the trees of the garden. They try to cover themselves from each other by sewing fig leaves together to make loincloths. And God wanted Adam to understand this and asks him, Who told you that you were naked? But, you know, being naked, being known, being uncovered, being vulnerable is something that we all struggle with today. For example, why is it that most people feel comfortable when talking one-on-one with a person, you can have a conversation with your friend or someone one-on-one, no problem. But you put them up front in front of a crowd where they're speaking to a, a large group of people, and suddenly what happens? Palms are sweaty. They, get, they can, might even just freak out completely. Why is that? Because you stand in front of a crowd, and the only person talking, and you make a mistake, you feel uncovered, you feel vulnerable, and and everyone listening to just you speak, you make a mistake and everyone's going to know it. Or when was the last time you felt uncomfortable walking down a hallway or on a sidewalk? You say never. Yet put yourself on a fashion runway or up on stage where everyone is watching you walk. Suddenly you're thinking, shoulders back, head up, don't bounce too much. Why? Because you're conscious of your every move. You feel vulnerable. And Adam and Eve now struggled with being truly known, with being truly loved, with being truly accepted. And really, that is really the beauty of a really good friendship, isn't it? Have you ever had a really good friendship where you could open up your heart, you could bear your soul, you could say anything that you were thinking and know that that person would still love you, would still accept you? I mean, that kind of a a friendship is, is a precious thing. And similarly, similarly, that's what's so awesome about being in a great marriage. To be in a relationship where your husband or your wife knows virtually all of your faults, your problems, your inadequacies, to be uncovered, to be vulnerable before them, and still they know you, and they still love you and accept you. That's pretty awesome. And that is what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden Before their sin. But now, they feel the need to be covered. 
Now, many of us are familiar with Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But how many of us remember the next verse? Verse 13. It says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned. Their nakedness didn't change. But what did change was their consciousness of their lack of righteousness before God. Their sinfulness became front and center in their mind and their thinking. And what did they do? They hid. They went for cover. And they tried to cover up their shame and their disobedience with fig leaves. And it isn't much different for many of us today. For when we are dreadfully aware of our own spiritual inadequacies and our failures. We all know how weak our relationship with God is. We realize how many days or weeks or perhaps even months have gone by without us spending real quality time in God's word. We are painfully aware of the secret sins that we struggle with daily. And so, so what do we do? We try to cover up. We try to hide. Now, people don't cover up their shame and disobedience with fig leaves today, but they cover up in more sophisticated ways. They cover up with service. Sometimes doing good things for other people. They may, may even serve in a church ministry or a local social service to people. They may be some of the most dedicated servants in a ministry, but the reason why they serve is to cover for the lack of real relationship that they have with God. People also try to cover up their shame with keeping up a nice appearance. Husband and wife could be yelling and screaming the whole way to church, and yet when they pull in the church parking lot, before that door is open, the tie is straight, the smile's on the face, they might even hold hands on their way into the church building. Why? Because they're covering up. If anyone really knew, they would be ashamed. But as long as they can keep up the act... Keep, up their cover, keep their cover intact. They think that no one really will know. People even try to cover up with spirituality. Sometimes making different religious issues their banner of spirituality. Whether it be abortion or another societal problem. They are outspoken on, the, on these issues. And you see it. You see it on Twitter. You see it on Instagram. You see it on Facebook. They may never read the Bible or even go to church. But... They want to make sure everyone knows how strong their viewpoint is against these problems. Why? Because they're covering up. They're covering up before others, before God, and even before themselves. Even those who claim to be an atheist or an agnostic and are, are mad at God and are outspoken about their viewpoints are covering themselves because of what it would mean to their lives if, they were, if their lives were really exposed before a God who truly sees and knows them. And people also try to cover themselves by hiding. Just like Adam and Eve, who at one time walked with God and talked with God, but now they're hiding from God. People hide from God in many ways. It starts with no longer reading or even thinking about God's word. They no longer want to hear what God has to say to them. And it doesn't happen overnight, but it's usually slowly, gradually. People go from a close walk with God where they never miss their morning time with him and his word to never having time 
for him and, and his word. Others hide from God by not going to church. The last place they want to go is somewhere where they're going to hear from God as he speaks from, their, from his word. Some even go as far to avoid or refuse to speak with friends or pastors or anyone who's going to speak God's truth to them. Why? Again, because they're hiding. They don't, want to, they don't want to hear God's word. And unfortunately, most of us know people who once walked with God but no longer do. I remember years and years ago, Pastor Martin's mentioning to me that he rarely, if ever, saw someone who left Faith Baptist for the wrong reasons continue and do well in their walk with God. Been here 23 years. I, I, I've heard stories over the years, whether it's from here or people I knew that went to Bible college or people that I grew up with in a church. I remember so-and-so. They were a deacon. I remember so-and-so. They taught Sunday school. They served in Awana. They sang in the choir. They were the dramas. They led a Bible study, whatever it might be. But now, and you hear horror stories of where people are at spiritually. Lives wrecked, far from God. How did they get there? What happened? Well, it starts just like it did for Adam and Eve. It's not a matter of ignorance. Adam and Eve knew better. King Saul knew better. King David knew better. And many people who once served God faithfully and now are far away from God knew better. Gradually, overnight, not not overnight, people begin hiding from God, covering up before God, instead of opening up and asking for prayer and asking for help. They stop reading their Bible. They start listening to the other voices in this world. They listen to the serpent voice in this world, whether it's at school or their friends or their co-workers. And in listening to that voice, they start to doubt God. And quite frankly, this, this is a great reason to be a part of a small group or an accountability group or some relationship where people will know your life and ask you the tough questions. How's your relationship with God going? How's your relationship with your wife or your husband? How are you doing in your relationship with your children? To be in a situation where people won't let you hide out, but are willing to be used by God to love you and to challenge you and keep you close. Because if we're starting to hide, if we're in the middle of covering up, well, you might ask, well, how do we change? Well, just like in the garden with Adam and Eve, God desires fellowship with us. He desires to walk with us and talk with us. And when Adam and Eve sinned and against him and they hid, God sought them out. He gave them proper coverings, a picture looking forward to Jesus' perfect sacrifice that would give the ultimate covering for our sins. In fact, Colossians 3, 1 through 4 gives us a great reminder. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse 3 reminds us that we were designed to be hidden with Christ in God. But by design, our covering was to come from the only one who could provide a perfect sacrifice covering for our sin. 
So how do we avoid becoming a casualty of listening to the serpent's voice today? How do we help our children who go away to public high school, public college, away from our site, away from our church, how do we keep them from being a casualty, another casualty of I remember that person who used to? Well, it begins with staying close to God and in, in his word. Encouraging our, our children if they're away from us to make sure that they're, they're attending church and talking to them about their time in God's word, making sure that they're in a good church, making that a priority of where they go to school to make sure that that's not something that's going to sacrifice. Because what good does a great college degree do if your children are away from God? And keeping ourselves close to God. Making sure that we're doing what we should do every day. Spending time in his word. Keeping that commitment. It doesn't have to be in the morning. It's a great way to start the day, but it doesn't have to be in the morning. It could be in the afternoon, at your lunch break, or in the evening. But making sure you spend that time every day, spending time with God, listening to him and talking with him. And as I mentioned, being a part of an accountability or perhaps small group is a great way where people will, will ask you questions and where you can ask them questions and you can have someone who's going to challenge you and continue to encourage people that way. And take advantage of those relationships that you have with people. When you have those close friendships, when you get together with people, don't let it just be about who, who scored so many points last night or what team's going to win the Super Bowl. But take advantage of those close friendships that you have and, and ask them questions about how they're really doing in their walk with God. Ask them what they're studying in the Word. Ask them about their relationship with their children or their spouse so that God can use you to be a vessel to challenge them and keep them close. And perhaps you, you know someone who you'd see has started alienating themselves from God. You see, wow, you know what, now that I look at at that situation, I, I see that that person is hiding from God. That person has started covering themselves. Well, I'd encourage you, you can seek them out personally. You can encourage, you can talk to a pastor who might help you reach them. Or grab a godly friend who can, uh, can help them as well. But we need each other. We need God most of all, but we need each other. And that's one of the reasons why he has brought us to uh, a fellowship such as Faith Baptist. Let's pray and ask for God's help to do just that. Father, we do thank you for your word and for how it challenges us and speaks to our heart. And we thank you for your spirit and that you, you don't let us wander, but you come after us and you seek us. And our Lord, we just ask now, even as we we may know of people who are friends from long ago. Perhaps it's children, cousins, relatives that we know who are not close to you, who have strayed, who have listened to the voice of the evil one who has caused doubt in your word, has caused people to walk away from your word and to walk away from you. We ask for your help that you might keep us close to you Keep us in your word every day. 
Help us to seek out relationships that can challenge us and uh, help us to, uh, in our walk with you, that we might remain close with you, that in all that we do and the short lives that you give us might give you the honor and glory that you deserve. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.